HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. We've been making cheese in Wisconsin since before we were even a state, which may be one reason why we win so many awards for it. It's what happens when a whole state dreams in cheese. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. I'm Allison Kane, and welcome to In the Sauce, a podcast about building consumer brands from the ground up. I love doing this show because I get to interview everyone from production gurus to marketing and social media mavens, anyone who can guide me on this crazy journey. This is the story of building Haven's Kitchen sauces, but it's also the story of every growing brand because we're all in the sauce. Today, I'm speaking with Melissa Seligman, COO at Thing Testing, a review and discovery platform built to help people discover and share their candid reviews of brands. It's a place for consumers to research and find brands that they want to try through trustworthy reviews of products from other people who've tried them. Prior to joining Thing Testing in 2022, Melissa worked at BarkBox, a D2C subscription box for dogs for nine years, where she ran various teams and developed an affinity for product development. Welcome, Melissa. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. You are so welcome. I'm so happy you're here because I hear thing testing a lot. Like I hear my team talk about it. I hear people talking about it. It's definitely got like a, like a momentum behind it. Um, and I think for a while I just didn't really pay that much attention because we were like, we weren't a D to C brand and it felt like it was sort of, you know, primarily for direct to consumer brands for people to try them. But I know that it has maybe started as something like that, but it's evolved. So can you tell me a little bit about where you started, where it's going and I guess, you know, what you've learned about how to help brands. For sure. Yeah. So Jenny, our founder, started it in 2020 officially. It was an Instagram account um, in its origin. And basically mm. she was in BC and she was leaving, um, writing reviews from her consumer perspective and then also the VC perspective. And then she started mm. um, 
realizing that there was like a disconnect between what she really felt as a consumer and what was being posted on all of these e-com brand websites. And she started getting DMs from people being like, hey, I left a review at this place and it wasn't posted. I think we all saw that Mm. huge influx on Amazon of like the thousands and thousands of reviews that were Mm -hmm. bots. Um, Anyway, she started doing closed friends and charging for it. And she made about $30,000 in two months and was like, wait a minute, people care about um, other people's feedback on products, if it's honest. Right. So she quit, became a founder, um, and we've kind of built the team since there. And really, it started as this third-party review and discovery platform and has since become this beautiful intersection, I think, of kind of consumer perspective and opinions, while also partnering with brands and really allowing them to showcase their their truth and be really honest in the consumer's eyes. And we've recently launched these growth tools that we're super excited about that I think like really connect that that moment where brands need the help of the consumer and the consumer needs the help of the brand. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. I remember I it was Umami Cart and I was listening to I forget the founder's name, but she's so smart and I was listening to her talk and she was talking about how it there's a double mission, right? It's like, yes, it's to help people find, you know, Asian groceries and Asian brands, but it's also to help the small mom and pops that aren't necessarily building out these massive websites and spending money on search. And I love everything that's like a win, 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 you know, (laughs) Mm -hmm. it's like, there are very few things that are just like, so this is like, it's a win for consumers because they're getting the honest feedback and they're really starting, you know, they're, they're able to do real research from real people And now it's really good for brands because we'll dig into the growth tools a little bit, but it's a way for brands to sample our products to a consumer who is excited to try them um, with more intent to repeat and buy, I would imagine. I don't know that for sure, but my guess is that your consumer is someone who's looking for whether it's better for you products or, you know, better design products or whatever it is. So is that the general, is that a good way to sort of talk about the Venn diagram a little bit? Yeah, I think so. I think we really have an audience of prosumers. And I think even beyond that, what we're so excited about is that uh, uh, kind of as you started with, like we began as a digitally native uh, directory and then have since expanded because we realized that all of these brands, be it they're trying to launch in their first retailer or they're trying to launch online, are struggling with the exact same challenges. And so mm-hmm. we wanted to just really serve them to reach kind of their existing audience, the retail audience, and then, you know, kind of supplement that, I think, with this like prosumer at thing testing. Mm, okay. The prosumer as opposed to the consumer. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I like it. Okay. So tell me a little bit about the growth tools because, you know, again, it's like, I don't, I think it's going to be interesting for brands that aren't digitally native to play with a platform like this. Exactly. I think like that's really probably one of like the um, selling points for this for brands that are not digitally native as well is that Mm -hmm. you think about um, to create a landing page, to be able to direct people to some sort of rebate program and then actually gain that consumer insight, understand where they're shopping, what else they're buying 
in terms of basket data, who they are, Mm -hmm. like what their household, like just so much stuff, custom survey questions, all of those things, like they really need a tech team. And for non-digitally native brands or these really small emerging brands who maybe whipped Mm -hmm. up um, a quick quick Shopify site, it's just not intuitive. And so what we've created is um, these custom landing pages that allow brands to actually set the terms of their entire offer. And so let's say Haven's Mm. Kitchen really wanted to push more foot traffic into Whole Foods. Not that you Mm -hmm. need that much help, but if you did. No, everyone um, needs help, yeah. uh, You'd be able to set the terms of that. You could do a BOGO, you could do a free product, you could push a new SKU that you're trying to launch, et cetera. Um, and say, set, you know, the sellable quantity, set all of the parameters. Um, and then you could drive, um, spend on it. You could either list it into like your email list. You could put meta ads behind it. Uh, we would also list it on our site. Um, and then really it would be about learning more about who this consumer is that you lose that insight into as soon as they're not shopping on your e-com site, or Mm -hmm. if you never had an e-com site that you never really got to understand who your true customer is. Um, and then with the custom survey data, which I think is like really valuable, mm-hmm. it's at these really high touch points. Um, and so the kind of flow from the consumer perspective is they see the um, opportunity to try a product for free, the offer, exactly. They go buy it at the store. Um, they upload their receipt to thing testing. We reimburse mm. them within 48 hours for the cost. Um and at those moments where the consumer is interfacing with thing testing, we're asking them additional questions. So we're saying, like, you know, if you wanted to know, was it the flavor that brought the consumer in to try the product? Mm-hmm. Was it the packaging? Was it um, that they really needed inspiration on what to mix with mushrooms? Like all these various things, mm-hmm. you could really um, customize those questions, which I think is what just like provides insights that you really lose. And when we were at Bark, this was our biggest challenge always. It's like, as soon as we went into retail, we lost all of that visibility into who our, right. who our consumer was. I mean, it seems like, you know, I, I feel like I was, I was actually, I never listened to my podcasts with guests. I just don't listen to myself generally, <laughs> but I was re-listening to the, to the interview that I did with Leah Haberman because there was so much information in there. And I just wanted to make sure that I had sort of like translated it all to my team. And I feel like this is coming up again where, you know, there are so many places now. It used to be your marketing options as a grocery store sauce were the circular you could do, um, you couldn't do an off shelf because if you're me, because they don't, they didn't have refrigerated off shelves. You couldn't Mm -hmm. do an end cap because they didn't have those. You could do another promotion, you know, and play around with like, how deeply do you promote and how often do you promote maybe some demos. And then everything sort of changed with the, the digitally native guys. Like there were now all of these different things, but this fidgetal idea of like connecting digital discovery online. You know, I'm, I'm one of those consumers that's just like excited about products and excited about trying new things. And it's affordable luxury to, to have a new chocolate chip cookie or a new condiment. And then, but making that connection between that digital experience and an in-store offer or an in-store, you know, discount or whatever it is, is, is hard. Um, Mm -hmm. 
And it seems like now this is where you guys have, did you, what, I mean, cause you're trying to solve that. There are a couple of other ways to solve it. There are a couple of other platforms that brands can be on. They've been probably on this show too, but it's nice to know that there's another one. And it's nice to know that there's this community of thing testing prosumers who are like ready and able to do this and to participate. So I guess a couple questions. One is, were you just kind of collecting, you know, frustration from the brands that you were working with? And that's how you sort of figured out you wanted to have this in-store piece. Two is, has your community kind of gone from getting free products or from, you know, directly from brands to actually going into the stores and doing this? And is, is, what needs to be tweaked, if anything? Um, and three, I guess, is this consumer, would you say they over-index in beauty, in food, in lifestyle? And so I don't even remember the order or what the questions are, but yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, so I think from the brand perspective, we, yeah, again, started as this directory. We launched reputation management tools that were really meant to help brands kind of interact with consumers. It's a lot like the trust pilot model. That so just really that. hasn't um what is yeah because so, I don't know what that you is. know trust pilot. Uh-uh. Uh trust pilot is a third party <laughs> <laughs> review platform as well. It's really big in Europe. Okay. Um, oh, and cool. you get, you see these star ratings that are like five stars, three stars, whatever. And you mm-hmm. see them on commercials, you see them kind of universally. Europe obviously has like much stricter regulation around mm-hmm. reviews and transparency than American consumerism does. Um, right. And so we really believed that this, this uh, model would translate into the U.S. To date, it has not, um, just because the U.S. government is spending its time elsewhere. Um, right. <laughs> for lack of a better word. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... We launched these um, tools and they were really nice to have. You know, they were a supplement, not a painkiller. Um, mm-hmm. And so kind of in this process, we started chatting with brands to understand where their pain points were. And I think we did roughly 100 calls with 100 brands, probably more calls, but 100 different brands this summer, um, just trying to understand like what is going on in their world. And as you know, like it is tricky out there um, yeah. and continues to get trickier or change course and mm-hmm. a different challenge emerges. Um, and they just kept talking about how all the brands kept talking about how difficult it was to really retain the customer insights and know who the, who their consumers are and how to kind of keep per- working with them and keep getting them back. And so mm-hmm. we also heard at the same time from all of our audience and, you know, we have like the rolling PMF survey with users and consistently they were like, we want to try stuff. We want to try stuff mm-hmm. for free. Mm-hmm. Um, And so, and of course, that's like, you know, nothing new from a consumer perspective. But I do think that Gen Z is a really different shopper than we're used Mm -hmm. to. Um, And I think kind of inflation layered on with um, just, you know. A new way to access a coupon in a way. I mean, I think that's the thing. It's like, it's not your old fashioned, like, coupon cutter sitting at her kitchen table anymore. It's... Exactly. It's almost like and they, nobody sport. has to know you're doing it is the right. other thing too. Like you can yeah. advertise it. I think I was listening to um, 
a pod you were a guest on recently and you were talking about like visiting Walmart and like Gen Z just like snapping selfies in Walmart mm-hmm. the way people used to do this in like Louis Vuitton or like some luxury mm-hmm. stores. And it's like, yep, it's so exciting. Like, I think that there's half of our, half of like Gen Z is out there being like super excited to share the discount and the sale they got. And half of them are kind of trying to do it on the sly. But the cool right. kind of trifecta of success that we're seeing with this new growth tool program is that brands are happy, consumers are happy, and retailers are super pumped because mm-hmm. they're getting foot traffic. Right. And so yep. it's a win-win-win. All were, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, all tides rising or all ships rising with the tide. Um, yes. And so back to... I, I, every metaphor I give is mixed every single one. (laughs) And I end up saying full on nonsense most of the time. And now my family is so used to it that they're like, "Uh uh-huh. Like they, you know, they're, they just let it roll. They used to be like, you mean like that's basketball and you're talking about swimming or whatever. So, okay. Going back to, so your consumers are eager to try. It's great for the brand. I think consumers in general are super eager to try. It's great for the brands um, and it's solving that frustration that they were all feeling. And I think from a, yeah, like a consumer perspective, it's, and myself, you know, I'm, I'm millennial, but I'm, I'm definitely like eager to test things, but I'm also like, uh, I'm dealing with children that might not like it, like all these different factors. And so Mm -hmm. kind of de-risking is super satisfying. I think that's the word. I think that's the word of 2024. I've been using the word de-risking when it comes to buyers a lot and obviously investors a lot. And, you know, I've, my whole team knows like our whole job at this point is de-risking everything for everyone, (laughs) de-risking it for the consumer, de-risking it for our retail partners, de-risking it for our, you know, anyone who like works with us on any other sort of partnership or collaboration de-risk. Um, but going back, is the thing testing prosumer, um, do they lean toward lifestyle, beauty, food? Like who, who, what is like the sort of prototypical brand that would just like completely jazz up your people? So I don't think that there's exactly one, like I really, we, you know, we skew women, we skew slightly younger, in our audience, mm-hmm. but it's really, I think, lifestyle, beauty, um, CPG, really all CPG, but like food and bev, you really, mm-hmm. we really cross the gamut. Our directory is like really kind of well-rounded at this point. Um, I would say from like one of the actions that users take on our site is discovering brands and submitting them. So you, it's mm-hmm. brand spotted as we call it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say that like when I watch that Slack thread of like the new brands that are submitted, there's so much coming in and canned beverage. Um, Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think we joked about this in person, but I'm like, that's just like not a space that I would ever touch at this point because just like watching the sheer influx on that channel. um, Yeah. You probably get so much insight. Tell me a little bit more about that. Like what else are you seeing? Lots of canned beverages. I would imagine. Lots of canned bev. I would say skincare for the bot or uh, like beauty care for the body skincare is really mm-hmm. becoming um, just like really momentous. Mm-hmm. Um, I see a lot of self tanners recently, which maybe that's yeah, just like well, the my, season. My younger, my not my older daughter, but my younger daughter is definitely, she likes to have a year round glow. 
She yeah. likes to have a year round glow. It, heroin chic is not in. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Carry um, on. Keep going. <laughs> um, and then, you know, the nootropics mushroom space, I think we're going to mm-hmm. keep riding that wave for a while. I would say when, when I was leaving Bark and looking for my next thing, I spent a lot of time exploring kind of the psychedelic space and mm-hmm. realized it was just like a little bit, um, too progressive for not progressive is not the right word because I, I like it, but it it's was too, too early in it's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's probably too early in its life cycle. I mean, the reality is, is like, I mean, grocery stores are not there, you know, yeah, drug exactly. stores and, I don't think are there. And drug stores aren't there. And the payment processors, like, it's just a nightmare. I worked on CBD in 2017 and uh-huh. they were like, the farm bill's going to pass. It's going to legalize it. It's going to be no problem. We're still in the same mm-hmm. gray state with CBD and CBD is not yeah. have any psychedelic yeah. properties. So I've been talking, people have been talking about the farm bill passing some version of something <laughs> since like 2008 that I, yeah. I can think back to. Okay. So, <laughs> I mean, so let's get back a little nitty gritty for a second, because from, from my understanding, totally correct me if I'm wrong. Sometimes brands can drive their reviewers into a store, in which case they take a picture of their receipt after they've bought it, you reimburse them. Um, sometimes brands can sample directly. You can, on thing testing, you can just get a sample and, and, can, and the brand basically can fulfill that order like directly. Is yeah. That, that, so that's a different yeah. program. Yeah. Okay. Um, so try new things is kind of the growth tools, consumer facing program of the sampling to drive to the retailer of your in stores. So right. in okay. stores, it could be on your e-com, et cetera, but like you choose and you and the brand fulfills or the retailer fulfills. And then thing testing is responsible for the reimbursement once the consumer, um, uploads their receipt. Thing drop is our, um, more like sampling focused program. I would say it's generally been more focused on products kind of early in their life. Um, and, or like if you're just launching at a retailer, a lot of brands will use that though. Now I think, um, the growth tools support that more impactfully. Um, but it's yes, that they transact through thing testing. Um, but they are, uh, fulfilled by the brand. And it can also be to Amazon. And then they just come back to leave a review on thing testing. Yeah. Right. Um, okay. Well, the the growth tools can be through Amazon. Thing Drop really is focused on just the like thing testing. You the customer like checks out on thing testing. It's once right. a week. It's drop culture. It's a hundred units, two hundred right. units. It's like very got it specific. Got it. Got it. Okay. So going back to try new things, which is probably what most listeners I would imagine are going to be the more interested in, is that. You can send them to a retailer in a brick and mortar. You can send them to your own e-com page. Like you said, instead of having to build out the whole thing and put ad spend behind it, you've got this whole community and you can send them to Amazon. Has that, have you, um, we're, you know, we're launching a shelf stable product on Amazon in a couple of months there. It seems like people are, you don't want to have too many people trying too many things too early because it Amazon flags it. Can you shed any light on that? Is that what is that? Do you know anything about that? <laughs> yes, yeah. I think um, 
in my in my bark days I helped on the Amazon project and that mm-hmm. we actually I think that Amazon was like super excited about the volume of traffic we were driving to it. And what's cool about this program is like the retailer or the brand is actually doing they're just doing their promise to Amazon as the partner. They're saying we're going to push all of our eyeballs and sales through this channel. Um, there's no, like, there's no, um, incentive based on like them leaving a positive review. Uh, right. They should leave their honest feedback. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. So it's, I think it's actually great. We've had a few of our brands use their Amazon channel, um, to kind of drive traffic to, and it's been extremely successful. It's so low lift for the consumer, right? Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's the thing. So, yeah. Yeah. It's super nice. It's a lot easier than sending them to go to the store, to find it on the shelf, to upload their receipt, you know, to wait for the, all that. Yeah. And so, yeah. I mean, one of the things that you said sort of in our like pre-talk was that brands are using this to test new markets and new channels. Um, can you give me a couple of examples? Cause like, I feel like there's, there's like the nugget here and then there are all of these other ways that brands can use this to learn and to grow. So maybe just give me a couple of bullets. Yeah. So, um, an example, uh, they haven't actually launched yet, so I'm not going to say their name, but they, the, we built out a marketing plan with them where basically they're super excited because they're launching in Walmart in a s- select um, number of stores. Mm-hmm. And they're launching kind of a sub-brand of their main brand because their primary brand is just um, pretty expensive. And mm-hmm. so what they want to do is test with different influencers and their efficacy and like how they actually mm-hmm. work for them. And so they are trying, they're building custom landing pages um, to promote with their influencers, to drive influencer marketing basically to this two different SKUs to see which offer is more compelling. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, you know, there's the obvious, like if you're offering a free product versus $5 off, like, you know, which offer is going to be more compelling. But I think if you're trying to figure out like who speaks to your audience a little bit better and like who can right. actually motivate people, it's like a really exciting tool. Oh, for sure. That sounds awesome. Um, I mean, that sounds, that sounds fantastic. And so the best way you would say for brands to use you is, is probably for just to see what their needs are, see what they're trying to, you know, reach in terms of goals, and then you can help them come up with a plan. Is that kind of what you do? Yeah. I think, I think like, that's exactly right. Like we want to make this as successful for everyone as possible. I think like to the kind of all three parties being super excited, like the more consumers who try something, the more brands who are excited, the more retailers who see that foot traffic, everybody's going to be pumped. So from my perspective, like our team is really here to support, especially at this stage as we're getting the program off the ground. Um, I think there's certain brands who come in with like really specific needs and they're like this is exactly what i want to do and this is the i want to just like turn this landing page on here are the parameters of the offer we have a bunch mm-hmm. of brands who are just basically rolling different they have different launches staggered out throughout the year so they're just like rolling different programs each month right. um it's you know I, sh- I guess i should say that the tool is like a monthly fee and then you can run as many campaigns as you want um and Very so cool. yeah so it's really it's kind of turnkey and then of course like 
we're here to make sure it Bespoke works it. and help. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Okay, very cool. We're going to take a break. And then when we come back, we're going to talk about all the things you're seeing because you have such a good perspective. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. There's a reason when you think of Wisconsin, you think cheese. Cheese is a huge part of Wisconsin's history and future. In Wisconsin, the state of cheese, the tradition of cheesemaking excellence began 180 years ago, before Wisconsin was recognized as a state. Immigrants traveled to settle in this lush, green hills of Wisconsin, bringing their cheesemaking traditions with them. These storied skills combined with the freshest milk available created a cheesemaking culture that is uniquely Wisconsin. Wisconsin's 1,200 cheesemakers, many of whom are third and fourth generation, continue to pass on old world traditions while adopting modern innovations in cheesemaking craftsmanship. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. I'm back with Melissa Seligman from Thing Testing. Okay, so we talked a lot about Thing Testing. I think that there's probably a lot that brands can do. Like all tools, you kind of not like got to know what you're trying to get out of it. And it's, it, it doesn't seem like it's just a sampling program or just a review program. Like there's a lot of other things that you can get. So now that we've kind of covered that stuff, I'd like to zoom out and talk. I mean, we touched on it a little bit at the beginning, but you are seeing literally firsthand what all of these thing spotters are putting in. You've been watching brands and consumers over the last couple of years. So I guess I just want you to stream of consciousness a little bit like how would you describe the last couple of years, both from a consumer perspective and I guess from a brand perspective? Um, I think from a consumer perspective, it's really exciting. It's been a really exciting few years because stuff just seems to really emerge as quickly as the problem is identified. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Gen Z is also like particularly honest Um you know, they're happy to wear their zit stickers and they're like mm-hmm. talking about mental health in a way that has never been done before and sleep. I just saw some crazy stat on like the size of the sleep market. And then there was <laughs> uh, a doctor quoted in it who was like, you need like a cool dark place and that's, you don't need all of these other things, but for some right. reason it's a multi-billion dollar industry. Yeah. Um, and I'll just say that the company store sheets are my like go-to and have been since my mother you know, when I was little. So yes. I don't think I need all of this innovation, <laughs> but, um, yeah, but I, I do think that cons- the Gen Z market you is You don't just want like- to disrupt sleep. <laughs> I was I'm just not, being I witty. really just want to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know. I, I posted something the other day, like maybe we just want to make a good product and like, you know, treat people well on the team. Like, yeah. do we need to have like, I want to change the world as part of my like fill in the blank cupcake supplement pop tart company, you know, like, um, I'm thinking I'm getting a little jaded. Okay. So yes. So go on. So it's exciting for consumers. Yeah. Well, I mean, is it, it's exciting for consumers because I, 
it's just never been easier to discover and then to just click a button and have it delivered to your house. Or is there more than that? I agree with that. But I also think that, you know, so I really came of age in consumer with um, this concept of like subscription is king and like at Bark, mm-hmm. we really, really focused on that. You know, I rem- I really remember my early years being there and, you know, launching our e-com and all these things and it always being a distraction from subscription because one, we are VC backed, but also like you can really see that repeat purchase rate and uh, the retention mm-hmm. and everything. And so I think that we've seen kind of a pivot in what we need um, to be satiated as a consumer. And it doesn't necessarily mean subscription. Um, mm-hmm. It does. I mean, I use my subscribe and save all the time. Like it, it, there are certain things that really lend themselves to it, but right. I wouldn't say that it has to be in every single model. I think you, you've spoken about this, but like your product does not lend itself to shipping because mm-hmm. it's, you're getting dry ice. That's like, 10x the size of the product itself and it just feels like right. waste and it's like not a good vibe for the shopper it's not good for the world it's not good for the economics of the business like none of it makes sense right yeah um and so i think it's really it's re- it's really about meeting the customer where they are um and so i think that's what consumers are saying they want and i think that that's kind of where brands are ultimately realizing they need to be um and so it's been just an interesting pivot from that retail is dead back to like, we're now trying to figure out how to drive people into retailers to support these brands. Um, and so it's just been yeah. really, I think, topsy-turvy, but also like topsy-turvy, but it's also been really, I think, fun. Um, mm-hmm. It's, a, you know, it's a roller coaster. So some days you're like, this is not good. Uh, right. <laughs> but, but today happens to be one of the days that I woke up with a decent amount of sleep and <laughs> I feel optimistic. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's it's the kind of thing where consumer choice is never a bad thing, right? I think if you fundamentally believe in you know the 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 market to some extent, if you believe that you know the best brands will ultimately prevail, um it's great that consumers have a hundred different things to choose from and that they get to make that decision. And Mm -hmm. there are fewer gatekeepers now more than ever. And things have definitely been democratized. And yet I think for the brands and to some extent to the detriment of the consumer, because everything's so crowded and there is so much vying for their attention, it's almost like too much. So there's this paralysis of choice, I think, that happens. And people don't know exactly what to believe, which is where y'all come in. Um, Definitely. And, you know, there is a lot of waste because there there probably doesn't need to be, like you said, that other new sheet company or sleep company or, you know, some of these companies are artificially in existence. Um, and you could argue most of us are for some chunk of time because we're not making, you know, we're, we're spending more than we're bringing in. Um, yeah. And that, and that's just part of the model and always has been. It's, it's funny when I talk to people who grew up in CPG in the last 
10 or 15 years, they're, they are coming from companies that were never profitable. You know, they might be now, or they might not be now. They've all sort of had their like, you know, growth rounds with private equity. There's a whole slew of just like really big companies that not only aren't profitable, but were never, that was never one of their goals. Um, so that's a little bit of a tangent, but so no, but it really resonates because I think like at, at Bark, our CEO really, it was always growth, growth, growth. And then every few quarters, it would be like, we've got to be a dollar over like into the black in order to make this make sense. And it was like hitting profitability just meant like not losing a ton of money. Um, yeah. And, and now we see this major shift, right. Um, and how people are thinking about it. And it's not like you have to have growth, but it doesn't have to be the triple digit growth that we were expected to, um, well, they'd like that prior. (laughs) They'd like that. They would still like that. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, that's why no one's doing any deals. Um, but, (laughs) but going back to the consumer for a second. So, I mean, you have your finger on the pulse. Are they, are there, is there anything they're moving away from? You know, you said they're moving toward, I think, sleep supplements. They're moving toward, you know, nootropics. They're moving toward, um, you know, all sorts of RTD, canned beverages. I'm imagining that those have gut health and they have functionality and they have, you know, cool can packaging. Um, I'm guessing beauty is always sort of there, but it feels like it's definitely like very zeitgeisty at the moment. Is there anything that you're like, huh, this is an interesting shift away from this category or this world? I think the one thing that always surprises me is what consumers say they care about versus like where they actually Hmm. put their dollars. Um, And I listened uh, or went to it. Oh, where I saw you at the new consumer Mm -hmm. conversation. Um, Mm -hmm. And Dan Frommer basically was like, they, Gen Z says they care so much about sustainability, but yet Shein Mm -hmm. and, you know, all these fast fashion brands are just like on like the upward part of the hockey stick. Um, And so at the end of the day, they want to look cute. Um, So I I think that's a fascinating moment of that disconnect of like where you think your values should lie and then where you actually spend your dollars. We had this discussion internally today because we were talking about just how much better for the environment our pouches are. And someone was saying, why isn't that on your packaging? Why isn't that more, you know, pronounced in your messaging? And I was like, because sadly, like it doesn't make their lives better. Like, again, going back to de-risking, I think at this point, I I had such a fascinating conversation with one of my buyers the other week. And basically we were talking about who is our consumer. These are the things that they care about. And our consumer is willing to pay a premium for those things. But they have to be very clear that they're getting one of those things. And environment and sustainability is just not on the list. It's like a nice to have for a lot of people, but I guess to flip it, it's like, will your consumer pay 20 cents more for a more sustainable package? And the answer right now is no. 
like maybe a couple would, but similarly, like I remember we were talking about labor practices in, you know, 2015, 2016, you know, just in general, in the hospitality industry, will people pay $5 more for this fill in the blank, knowing that people have been treated well in the process? And the answer, unfortunately, for the American consumer, not specifically, but as a whole, is no. Because I think right now, that's just, they just want to make sure that they're getting what they need to suit their needs, primarily before anything else. It's like a nice to have. Um, Yeah. So I, I don't think that they are not telling the truth when they say it's important to them, although there probably is some virtue signaling anyway, but they do mean it. It's just that, are they, okay, the next question is, are you willing to pay more for that? And I don't think that the bulk of them would say yes, but you tell me. No, I completely agree. Yeah. Um, I actually was thinking, um, again, I did a deep dive on uh, your pod and I was listening to um, some a conversation you were having a little bit of like the disconnect between retailers saying we really want emerging brands but we won't deal mm-hmm. with you directly and right um, and I don't know if this exists and if anybody wants to do it with me slash if you do what about like um, a distributor model that is just a rev share and so yeah rather than like marking up the prices um, but the distributor basically just gets like some of your sales performance. Um, and so that way you can go yeah. like at the best cost with the distributor. I feel like the distributor model in general is like, right. So broken. It's like brokers. Right? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff in there that could be, and I, I think people are trying to figure out distribution. I think dot does consignment, which also is like nice. Um, there was another one that was sort of a young distributor that had a different type of model. I think some of these things are just, they're so huge that, you know, getting in there just and, so and the retailers yeah. yeah, make these deals with these distributors, you know? Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that's the, I, I don't think that retailers, I think they mean it. I think they really want to bring in innovation but by the time that innovation is on their shelf, it's not a dollar more than the conventional brand. It's two to three dollars more. Yeah. And the consumer, it breaks. It they they won't do it. And so they don't, it's like, I mean, s- some brands figure it out, but I think the brands that figure it out are the ones that already have really, really high gross margins. Um, mm-hmm. which, you know, is is challenging to do in the better for you food world. Um, okay. So what else are they? So tell me a little bit more. What are you seeing them not? What What was there a flurry of that maybe has dissipated a little bit? Anything that was like very hot in 2021, 2022, that now is just like, uh, don't, don't necessarily go start this company. <laughs> I would say that about water bottles. Um, mm. I feel like we've all been watching this Stanley cup, uh, journey, but I really think that Amazon's like <laughs> Amazon brands are just going to dominate that as it go yeah. forward. 
Um, that's, it's so interesting. It's so interesting to think about what other brands, like what other categories they can dominate. Cause. Well, they, that's what they're using. Mm-hmm. That's what they're using everyone for. Right. They're like, how do I make this my own brand? Um, yeah. and I feel like that's target's whole model as well at this point. Yeah. So, I mean, we've definitely spent a lot of time thinking about, the stores are definitely gung ho on private label. Oh, I speaking of Dan Frommer, I was listening to him on. It's all very like incestuous and circular, but I was listening to his <laughs> interview with Matt Rotbard on This Is Taste at the end of the year, mm-hmm. and Matt was like, "Who were the brand winners of the year?" And he's like, "That would be Kroger private label. Like, there's that's who won twenty twenty three. It's like Good and Gather and Kirkland." Basically. Yeah. And didn't Kroger just launch a fund with, um, yes, they've had a fund for a couple of years. I think they were trying to figure out the exact model. They have invested in brands along the way. I mean, Albertsons, I think similarly has one whole foods has one. I don't know. I don't think that target has one, although someone will tell me if they do where, you know, they get a little bit of equity in exchange for, I guess it's somewhat of an insurance policy, or a little bit of an extra sort of thumb on the scale. Although every retailer, and rightfully so, has a pretty strong firewall between the investment team and the you know merchandising team. So mm-hmm. I, I don't think any retailer can be like, put these people on the shelf and give them end caps. And you know, I don't think that that ever happens, but I might be naive. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I mean... I think private label is definitely um, the winner of 2023. But, you know, yeah. <laughs> like I always say, everything is cyclical. It will go around. There will be, you know, people, they'll they'll come back. You know, it's just about surviving these next couple of years. Um, yeah. De-risking. <laughs> yes. De-risking. Exactly. Um, and so I'm going back to your thing testing consumer do they de- are they skewing Gen Z? Is that where they what they yeah they tend skew to be? slightly Gen Z um, or young millennial um, mm-hmm. and slightly female? I actually um, did a bunch of user calls towards the end of the year and was speaking to um, one of our users who is he calls himself a lurker. He's like, I don't write reviews; I just come on and I kind of browse and um, mm-hmm. read stuff which like, you know, Wikipedia exists not because so many people are on there writing Wikipedia um, articles, Mm -hmm. but because they're reading it. Uh, Mm -hmm. And so I was like, you keep doing you. (laughs) We love everyone who's on the platform. Um, But he's like a super fascinating guy. He's in his late 40s. He lives in um, Lexington, Massachusetts. So just like outside of Mm -hmm. Boston. Um, And he has his, he's, he's like, we have this discount store. It's like the TJ Maxx of D2C stores, but it's like, um, TJ Maxx, like kind of bottom of the barrel. And he's like, I swear it's where brands go that are on their way out. And he's like, I, my favorite mm. thing to do is just like walk the aisles there. I just, I'm so curious about this little outpost in Lexington, Massachusetts that yeah. I now need to dig up the name of and go to and see like what's I happening like, in trends. And yes. Who's. Speaking of TikTok, that would be an amazing like TikTok discovery video, yeah. you know, in the voice, like, Hi, so today I'm yeah. visiting the new store in Lexington, <laughs> yeah. Massachusetts. It gets rid of... Uh, da, 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 so da, 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 da. Yeah. Um, 
by the way, I don't have TikTok, but I know the voice. Um, okay. Yeah. So that's what you're hearing from consumers. That's what, you know, they want to try things. They want to be risk-free. They definitely like discounts. They're a little bit more sort of in your face about my, everything from my zit sicker to my like gynecological care to my, you know, I got this free thing. Um, interesting consumer, not always necessarily completely honest with themselves about their priorities, but they still have a little bit of growing to do. On the brand side, you mentioned it a little bit when we were talking earlier, but you had uh, like a hundred brand calls. You were really trying to understand the pain points. One of the pain points that you said was like the minute that they go from D to C to retail, they lose this very vital sort of consumer insight. By the way, it takes a special team and a, and a, a well-oiled machine to understand how to use those insights effectively, but that's for another time. Um, what else were the pain points? Like what, what else did you consistently hear from brands? I think there's this, uh, well, one, of course, like the market, you know, um, fundraising, et cetera, is so challenging right now. Um, the, I think that shift, um, so this move into retail basically meant that they had to shift their dollars from marketing into distribution. And I think that that's a really, it's a different skill set, right? It's a different team structure. It's a different need. And so I think there's this kind of, um, I don't want to say fumbling, but this challenge that's taking place right now where teams are actually trying to figure out how to build flexibility into their model and how to make sure they're able to pivot. And that I think is really what's going to be um, the, the lifeline for all these brands in 2024 is understanding kind of what's working and then how do we actually extend that or um, kind of build a moat to like protect what's working. So there, you said something so interesting and I've never heard it framed that way. It's that basically they were taking resources and I'm going to just add to dollars. I'm going to add people from marketing into distribution. Mm -hmm. And on yep. the like piggyback on that, I had a, I did a panel last week where I had three founders and they were talking about sales and I was asking about strategy and Michelle Jimenez, who's actually coming on the pod in a couple of weeks, basically said more or less like her sales strategy was like, who can she afford? Literally, like which mm -hmm. sales retailers she can afford Walmart. Walmart is a very simple model for her that makes sense. She can't afford other retailers um, because the, the costs of selling there by the time you add up the, all the stuff is just, it's too high. So it's interesting, right? Because it's like, that's just a totally different way to, to, people are thinking, well, you know, we based it on psychographics and age and the cities, and then we do the secondary cities and then the natural channel. And then the thing, she was just like, who, who, like, how much does it cost? That's the strategy. You yeah. know, there's obviously <laughs> more to it than that, but I, I thought it was interesting. And I think you just talking about it is like, that is basically what it, it, we have to choose. We have a bucket. Does the bucket focus on marketing or sales costs? Whether that's like paying UNFI for whatever, or paying slotting, or paying to promote, 
or, you know, needing to do what you need to do to stay in these retailers. Um, so that's a really good pain point. Was there anything else other than the market and there's no money and we're sad? Uh, we're sad. Life is hard. Um, <laughs> no, I think those were like the real big, the real big yeah. trends. And I, I also think that there's the competition, right? Like yeah, the, the seemingly ease at which it is to like make a, a brand exist today okay. um, mm-hmm. is, is really challenging for, for people who have really put kind of their, their life's work behind the creation of something. And so yeah. I think that's like one of the things that's so exciting too about thing testing is really seeing these, seeing kind of the shell brands as well as the brands that are really, you can tell that they're, they're passionate founders, there's passionate people behind it. And then how do we help them mm. get in, get in front of people? How do we help them with their distribution, their kind of their, their reach? And so I do want to touch on, you know, what I said was going to be for another time, because I do think it's interesting. And this is probably something that you help a lot with, or just your team does. So once you get that data, so you do a thing with thing testing, you do, you know, I don't know, a hundred people write reviews. Is that, uh, you know, I guess a round number. Um, you've asked them the survey questions, you know, you've brought on a specific store with that group, let's say what, what shopper data is the most important? What is it that brands ask that you think they really act on or that is helpful for them? Like, I guess what's a really good, you had such a good example of the way that someone was launching on there. But do you have any examples of good, interesting sort of like shopper data that brands have used that have been helpful for them in their next steps of the journey? Yeah. So I think there's two big takeaways there. One, for the brands that do not have national distribution yet, it's been really uh, awesome to help them basically showcase their the foot traffic that they're driving. And so... Um, if you take a smaller brand who's local to New York, um, being able to be like, look, this is how we performed in all of these uh, bodegas or you know all of the local retailers that we were able to book and turn that to the buyers at a Whole Foods or a Target or you know these bigger retailers. Um, so I think that that's been super powerful for brands. The other interesting thing that I think is like more exciting from like the survey perspective, is the collaborations. And so when one, you can ask like, would you like us to see us partner with anyone really specifically? But two, you also see the receipts. So you get all this basket data. So you can see if everyone at Haven's Kitchen is buying small hold mushrooms, like you guys could do a really fun collaboration and like that would be great for both brands. And so I think there's just some really cool insights that come from seeing the receipts. And the other crazy thing too, is just like the size of these checkouts a handful of people are going to the store and they're buying, you know, the Avec um, four pack and they're buying, you know, just like the handful of um, products that are available with this program. But a bunch of people are going and we're seeing, you know, $200 grocery bills and all the things Mm -hmm. they're buying for their household for the week or two. And it's just, 
I mean, in my household, this is just an added <laughs> a little fun thing. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. No, um, we actually got some basket data and it was fascinating for us because it was, there was some like massive over-index in chicken breast, which is not yeah. surprising. Right. But then we were able to go to, I forget which retailer and say, we want to do this thing where we have a, you know, a clip strip or whatever it is next to the chicken breasts. We have basket data. We know that this is what they're buying together. You know, we could do a recipe on the thing with the chicken breast and the thing. It doesn't always happen. Most of the time retailers can't quite make it work. Um, but that is really critical data. Important with other brands. So you know who to play with and who to partner with and certainly important with commodities or, you know, produce or, you know, maybe you'll discover a new way that people are using your product. Yeah, exactly. We had um, another brand who was just like totally shocked by what people were purchasing with them. Like I think chicken <laughs> and Haven's, Haven's Kitchen go hand in hand, but they were like, everybody right. is buying this with like something else that we had no idea that that's how people were eating right. the product. Like yeah, awesome. I mean that's the thing. It's it is really interesting, and I I you know I always go back to Jake Neller from Sweet Nothings, who he he going to shout out Social Nature on this one because he used Social Nature, and what they found out was that people basically didn't. I forget exactly what the questions were, but they got data saying that they were basically being placed in the sort of ice cream area. And it's just too healthy to be even in like the, you know, better for you indulgence set, but that people mm -hmm. were using them instead of making their own smoothies in the morning. So they actually use the data to move over to the frozen fruit set where their velocity is oh, like awesome. tripled or quadrupled. So again, it's like you can ask questions and the, and this is, I mean, honestly, I think when you're a small company, you don't think that you have the tools or the the team or you don't know how to use data effectively, but you know, knowing where to be placed, knowing who to be placed next to, being able to advocate for partnerships and secondaries, you know, yes, of course you're probably also going to get you know, young women like us or you know, people who are working out three times a week like us or whatever it is. Um, but that's, I'm so glad you brought up that, that data because it is, it's, it's, it's really important. And it's not that hard for a smaller emerging brand to figure out. Exactly. And I think the other super interesting thing that's happened for us is we were running a campaign with somebody, um, and we kept getting messages being like, I couldn't find it in store. Like uh -huh. I went to their well, store that's locator. That's the story of my life. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. I spoke to the retailer and they couldn't, like they said, they didn't sell it, all these different things. And so, and, you know, speaking again, just to like actual resources, like having somebody hit the pavement and go and see if you're actually placed where you're supposed to be placed, mm. whether you're stock, whether you're in, out of stock is like really re um, resource intense, Huge. but yeah, but also critical if you're trying to to show that, you know, you really want, like you, you could be more impactful. Yeah. People are going and looking right. for you. Um, You're basically kind of empowering a little, a little, you know, army of merchandisers in a way, which is also important. Exactly. And like, you know, you can choose your incentive. So like the way we have the campaign set up for the most part is that you're being reimbursed for 
like the cost of the product as a consumer. But in reality, if if you really wanted to make this your kind of foot soldiers, you could say, take a mm-hmm. picture of where we are in shelf and we'll give you a coupon for a future purchase or something like that. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so there's like all of these different touch points, which I think is so invaluable um, and just so exciting. And again, like yeah. our goal really is with the tools to empower brands that don't have the ability to whip up these custom landing pages to, to promote those campaigns right. to their audiences and to, you know, put meta spend behind it and see what the reach is and test the influencers and like really try yeah. to just empower um, people to try their product. Cause I think, yeah, I hear it time and time again and I do it myself. Like I just purchase the thing that I bought because I know it, it works. Yep. I like it. Um, and ultimately become a brand loyalist, um, yep. just out of almost of by being default. a creature of habit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. No, that's amazing. This is, this is so helpful and this was so much fun. Um, and of course, you know, I'm going to get off the recording and just like slack my team. Like, what are we doing with thing testing? And what are we doing? <laughs> like, how are we launching? I love that. Um, yeah. So you got me, uh, which is, which is pretty cool. Um, and so for brands that do want to sort of reach out and see if they can make it work, what should they, there's, I imagine you go to thingtesting.com and there's like for brands. Yeah. There's like a growth tools page, email us sales at thingtesting.com. Um, of course mention the pod. We'd love to know that you heard about us here. Um, yeah, but yeah. Yeah. We're influential over here at Heritage <laughs> Radio Network. <laughs> uh, um, we love it. I actually was laughing though, um, because I call you the fairy godmother of brands and you called yourself that today or, you know, in a podcast recently. And I was like, no, I was going to tell her that. I call her that. Find her back. Aw, no. Yeah. It's <laughs> funny. I, I have been called that and I got to say, I love it. Like Gilda. Yeah. Glinda the Good Witch or Glinda. whatever. Yeah, I'm into it. I'm into fairy godmothering. Um, all right, Melissa, thank you so much for coming on the show. I learned a lot. I hope other people learned a lot. And it was just a really good discussion. Sometimes these things are just cathartic. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it and love being here and listening to you all from afar when I'm not. Ah, thanks. And Liam, as always, thank you so much for engineering or bearing with my wonky calendar invites that I still yet have not mastered after a decade. Um, And uh, all the friends at Heritage Radio Network that make this nonprofit radio network, podcasting network work, um, which is really cool. So thank you. And listeners, I'll be back next week with another episode of In the Sauce. In the Sauce is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.